Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Ford government overrides constitutionally protected labor rights in its battle with QP's education workers. Immigrant women and refugees who have fallen victim to homelessness, poverty, and domestic violence have a new place to turn to in Hamilton. We have some advice for you to help combat inflation. A Hamilton artist is getting a boost from the AGH and learn how to protect you and your family from carbon monoxide. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, the war of words and then some continues between the Ford government and QP. And by introducing legislation to block education workers from walking off the job on Friday, I mean, they're going to do it anyways. The Ford government in doing so has become the first in Canada to use the notwithstanding clause to override constitutionally protected labor rights. What rights? Sarah Slynn is the Associate Professor of Law at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sarah, good morning. How are you today? Morning. Your thoughts on what the Ontario government is doing? Well, it's quite surprisingly uh, aggressive, actually. Back-to-work legislation is not uncommonly used uh, by governments in Canada when it comes to um, bargaining disputes. Uh, less often, uh, since there have been some uh, significant Supreme Court of Canada decisions supporting labor rights, but it still happens. But this is quite unusual in the sense that, first of all, it's being passed before there's a work stoppage. Uh, secondly, uh, it's imposing very significant fines. Fines aren't uh, unknown for this kind of legislation, but these are quite large. And of course, the use of the notwithstanding clause, which really uh, is unprecedented in the new charter era. What comes to mind, one of the many questions really, is what has happened to workers' rights and and the right to negotiate, which has really been stumped by the provincial government? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, it, it This is uh, ending bargaining, uh, and it is depriving these workers, it seems, of their charter rights of uh, freedom of association and specifically the, the right to strike, which the Supreme Court of Canada recognized uh, just uh, in 2015 as being a, a fundamental part of the freedom of association. Sarah Slynn is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sarah is an associate professor of law at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University and is joining us here on GMH. Does utilizing the notwithstanding clause violate these workers' rights? It would, it would certainly seem to. The negotiation here was... Uh, certainly not exhausted. It it doesn't seem that the parties had come to a complete impasse in bargaining. So it seems that it's cutting off bargaining. And uh, by preventing a strike, which is recognized by the courts now as being uh, an essential part of the collective bargaining structure and an essential part of the negotiation process, it really does seem to be a, a significant interference or denial of these rights. This uh, overriding of their constitutionally protected labor rights is being used in the education sector. I'm sure there's other workforces, other labor unions looking at this and, and thinking this is setting a dangerous precedent. It, it is very problematic. It seems to be really hitting a, a fly with a hammer, not, not to liken QP to a fly, but it does seem to be uh, disproportionate uh, to the circumstances. It doesn't seem to be necessary to completely 
quash, uh, bargaining completely quash the prospect of a work stoppage, which is, again, part of our collective bargaining process in Canada. You know, the legislation and the entire labor relations system contemplates work stoppages, strikes and lockouts as being part of the process and a means of, of, of coming to resolution and negotiations. Professor Slynn, I really appreciate you waking up with us this morning. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much, Rick. That is Sarah Slynn, Associate Professor of Law at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University. For those who don't know, Sarah is on the left coast this morning. Man, she woke up at 4.50 this morning just to join us, and we really greatly appreciate that. Lots of texts coming in at 905-645-3221, including a text uh, from a nameless individual. If you're going to text us, please provide your first name so I can attribute these comments to your name. But this individual writes, The Ford government should not be imposing the notwithstanding clause to force an inferior agreement on QP members who should have the right to bargain. The Ford government is quick to increase their own salaries and add additional ministry positions, but doesn't care about low-wage earners making a living, especially during these high inflationary times. I also got a text. Good morning. Once again, Rick failed to mention educational assistance in the CUPE organization. EAs work with students with special needs. Too many are not being properly cared for. Uh, for lack of funding, teachers get supplies. EAs don't. That's the problem and the pay. Please get this out. People need to hear about the facts, not politicians' talking points, which happen to be asinine. Great point. Yes, EA's educational assistance greatly affected by what is happening. Another text coming in. I'm sad about the current state of affairs over education workers. My granddaughter would be completely bereft if she were to lose her EA. She is 12 years old with profound disability, and her blessed EAs have to change her diaper, feed her, and transfer her. She is not alone in these special classes. There are so many others with a variety of needs in her class alone. These workers deserve to be paid their worth. That text from Brenda. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The offer we propose is fair. We gave QP a path to avoid this when they announced a strike on Friday. And the Premier and the government has been abundantly clear. I've been clear saying we will not permit disruptions. No one will tolerate strikes after the most extraordinary period probably in modern history. Oh, them's fighting words, say those involved in this dispute uh, under the QP umbrella facing hefty fines if they go on strike this Friday. QP says thousands of its workers will still walk off the job to back their contract demands after the province imposed a four-year contract on education workers. Let me say that again. Imposed a four-year contract on education workers. In short... QP said, listen, there's a good possibility we're going to go on strike to back our contract demands. And the province says, you know what? Forget about the strike. We're just going to give you this four-year contract. Take it. That's it. Negotiations are over. Doug Ford was carving pumpkins yesterday. The provincial government is carving, carving up labor rights. Which side are you on here? There's a, there's a, a sliver of gray area, but there's a lot of black and white here. A lot of black and white. You can chime in on a number of fronts. And whether you support education workers in QP. Again, this is not this is not teachers. This is librarians, custodians, early childhood educators that are going to be going on strike on Friday. Well, and, and a whole lot more. As QP said, listen, we're just going to all go. 
And so that really has a number of people worried about what's in store for next week. A number of ways you can chime in. Number one, you can go to our poll question on Twitter at AM900CHML. We already have over 100 votes, which is kind of unprecedented at this time of the day. Uh, At AM900CHML, do you support the Ford government's decision to impose a contract on education workers and ban them from striking? I've already voted no on this one because I think they're going about it the, the wrong way. Let the process pay out. The government's imposing this contract because they don't want these education workers to walk off the job and put our students at, at risk or impact their education any more than it already has been by COVID over the last two years. And even by imposing this contract, education workers are like, well, okay, well, we're going to go on strike anyways. So really, it's not mission accomplished at all from the Ford government. If anything, it's added some kerosene on the fire. So you can vote in our poll question. You can call me up at 905-645-3221 and share your thoughts on where you think this thing is going, which side you're going to be on. Or you can text us at that same number, 905-645-3221, and we'll bounce the ball around for the next five minutes here. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're going to talk to a law professor who's going to give uh, their thoughts on this situation. Uh, A stream of texts coming in at 905-645-3221. Be sure to use your first name so we can attribute your comments to your name. Pete writes, I couldn't agree more with Kevin in his last text. Kevin, previously, had texted saying, teachers deserve to suffer. Now, again, it's not teachers, but we know it's the education union. Pete writes, what about the kids? They have suffered enough through uh, enough hardship through COVID. We keep talking about labor rights, but what about the children's rights? The human right of being able to attend school. People keep forgetting that over an extra dollar or two an hour, keep the kids in school at every cost. And I'm in education along with my whole family. Pete, thank you for the text. You can join the conversation as well. 905-645-3221 via text or calling in. You can also dial star 9900 as well. Uh, Don't have a name to this text, but basically no thumbs down emoji. Hamilton is in big trouble. 100% support the legislation. Keep our kids in school. About time a government grew a pair and stood up to the bully unions. All right, so there's uh, another individual on the side of the government. This text from Bobby, 905-645-3221. Bobby says, absolutely disagree with Ford's decision. It's a complete attack on labor, their dispute mechanism, and their charter of rights. I'm in agreement with Bobby. I like where he's going with this one. Uh, Here's a text that comes in 100% on the side of CUPE. So they're pro-union, what the union is trying to do. 905-645-3221. Star 9900 on your cell phone. Nicole is called in to Good Morning Hamilton. Hello, Nicole. How are you today? Oh, I don't know. My heart is heavy. This, this is, I, I really am so disappointed in the government today. Are you involved in the education system, or is it just from a parent's uh, standpoint? Um, I have a child in the system. She's in high school, so, I mean, this isn't as impactful as it would be if she was in elementary, but I'm also a teacher. And so you're quite worried on the precedent that the government is sending to this education union saying, hey, we're just going to force you back to work no matter what. Exactly. And I think, but if you think about this in a 
bigger picture way, it's like they can slap the notwithstanding clause on anything and they can push anything through and our rights be damned. I'm, I like, I just, I, I have never been so disappointed. How worried are you as a teacher knowing that, you know, your your union is going to be at the bargaining table and is is already and might have to go through this very same scenario? It's, it's terrifying to me. It's terrifying to me, and I feel like this is more about union busting than anything because if our contracts are going to be imposed moving forward, what's the point of having the union there in the first place well said they could, they could have easily sent this to binding arbitration if this if this was truly truly about keeping stability in the system they could have sent this to third party arbitration and you know everybody would have been unhappy but i mean this is this is like i don't know it's just so disheartening Nicole, I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for uh, calling us up this morning. Thank you. That's the way it should have played out. The government says, all right, we don't like what you're you're proposing here, QP. You know what? We're going to force you back to work with back-to-work legislation, but all the while we're going to continue to negotiate. Matt, which side of the equation are you on? I'm on the QP side. Uh, I agree with Nicole 100%. What's the point in collective bargaining if we're just going to have the government overreach and say no? This is what you guys get. Uh, I'm a union member as well. I work under the UA and the building construction. So uh, I, we almost went on strike this summer, so I couldn't be with QP anymore. I hear you, Matt, and I feel for you. Thanks for chiming in this morning. Thank you. Let's go to Michael. Michael, you're on the government side or the union side in this uh, discussion? I'm definitely on the uh, union side of this discussion. Um, one thing I just wanted to point out is, like, during the lockdown, these are the workers that were being forced to come into the school. Um, they were the ones that were told while everyone else was at home that they needed to be there on site. Um, they didn't pay them the essential raise that, you know, other uh, employees got at this point in time. And, uh, and now you're kind of like slapping them in the face and telling them like they're worthless in, in a way. So uh, I'm definitely on QP's side here. All right. Appreciate the call. Thanks, Michael. One more caller. That is Serge. Hey, Serge. How's it going? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Whose side of this equation are you on? So I, I work for the, the school board here in Hamilton. And uh, just one, a couple of comments. Uh, the clericals and secretaries are included in this, which will kind of cripple the functions of the school if they uh, all go on strike. And uh, the second one is, how come the McGinty government lost a uh, uh, lawsuit uh, doing that uh, way back, and the Doug Ford government is able to do the same thing? I don't understand how they're getting away with it. Well, it's a great point. The McGinty government was eventually fined, I think it was like $200 million, which went to the unions. It might turn about that that happens once again. Yeah, uh, agreed. I, I I'm completely support the QP. Uh, I, I hope that they, uh, they make a good stand against them. All right. Appreciate the call, Serge. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, Serge makes a, a great point, too, and it's not just custodians. Um, educational assistants are in this, clerical staff, uh, early childhood educators, social workers, speech-language pathologists, uh, psychometrists, uh, child and youth workers. There's a number of people, not 
might, might not be the teachers in the classroom, but the support staff all around it is really crumbling right before our eyes. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a new shelter that is going to be opening up here in Hamilton this month that is going to provide culturally sensitive services to immigrant women and refugees who are uh, or have fallen victim to uh, homelessness, poverty, domestic violence, and I'm sure is going to make a great impact in this community. Yasmin Youssef is the program director at Nisa Homes and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Yasmin, good morning. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Why is Nisa Homes expanding in Hamilton? So there's a huge need that we've already seen. Uh, we, we currently have two other homes in the GTA, and uh, one in Scarborough and one in Mississauga, and we haven't really had much of a presence in Hamilton, but We've been constantly receiving calls and applications from women in Hamilton needing help. Um, so it's been kind of just, you know, on the back of our mind. And, and at the same time with COVID, numbers are going up. Um, with the economic situation right now, a lot of people are experiencing homelessness. They just can't make ends meet. Um, and the shelter system in Hamilton is, is overwhelmed. How would you describe the situation for those who need uh, NISA homes in Hamilton? Because there are several barriers in place. Forget about, you know, the, the homelessness, the poverty, the domestic violence, which are serious issues. But now we add inflation in there, perhaps language barriers. Um, talk about the situation in this city. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in Hamilton, we know that there's a huge immigrant, uh, refugee, non-status population. And, and what ends up happening with these clients is that they're just not able to access the same services because they don't they don't know where to go. They can they don't speak the language. Um, even when they do go somewhere, a lot of times, unfortunately, they might be faced with racism. They might be faced with um, xenophobia. Um, and and what ends up happening is, if you're in a difficult situation, you kind of end up reverting to okay, I'll just go back to to my abuser. Or I'll just you know go crash on someone's couch or just kind of find a way to survive that doesn't mean using the system. And we're seeing that in Hamilton, too. The, the shelter system, like I said, is completely overwhelmed. No one can find space. We have shelters calling us knowing that we haven't opened yet, and they're like, tell us the date that you're open because we have clients that need to move in that day. So when do you plan to open, and can you tell us where uh, you plan to open? Yeah, so we're, um, we can't say the exact location because it's confidential for, for their safety, but we are opening in, like, central Hamilton, um, kind of close to downtown. It's not, you know, in the core of downtown. Um, and the goal is to open mid-November. Uh, so we're just kind of, like, in the final stages of setting up the house and, and getting the team ready and everything. So if someone is listening to our discussion right now, or perhaps they have a friend who can really utilize the services of NISA Homes and they want to go onto the website and check out nisahomes.com, what services will they be offered? Yeah, so we have the shelter, of course, and, and that means um, women can stay, women with or without children can stay for about three months. We'll have casework during that time so that they are able to kind of figure things out. We help them find a job or find some sort of source of income, uh, find another house to you know move out to. Uh, we have child care services. We have financial assistance. Uh, we have counseling, of course. Um, and then we also do provide the casework remotely. So sometimes our homes are full, uh, which is very likely to happen, unfortunately. Um, so we still want to be able to support those who reach out to us. So we'll still do the casework remotely. We'll try to help them find a place even if they're not staying with us. 
Um, and then we obviously connect them with other resources in the city. Uh, as you mentioned, Nisa Holmes is uh, elsewhere in the GTA, Mississauga, Scarborough. There's a location in Windsor. There are locations in other parts of this province and in other provinces. Is there a personal success story that you can tell our listeners about today? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's many. Thankfully, there are many. Uh, one of my favorite stories is, is a client that I worked with, and, and she actually had come to Canada as a refugee. She literally crossed the border with her eight children, um, had absolutely no idea where to go. Her plan had always been just get to Canada and figure it out. Um, she was, you know, fleeing war back home and, and issues back home. And um, she she got to Canada. Um, it was like a really cold winter day, and she the police saw her on the side of the street her, her and her kids literally just standing there crying and it was very cold so they reached out you know they reached out to different places eventually got a hold of us um they moved in that same day and it was really difficult because they literally just had the clothes on their back and we had no like we didn't have enough items to support eight children at that time and you know we we managed to kind of get what we could and it, this was like in the middle of the night so it was hard to even buy anything. Um, but fast forward a couple of months later, she uh, was able to move out into um, a, a house of her own. She started a catering business. Through the catering business, she was able to buy herself a car to help with the catering business. The kids now help her with the business. One of them is in university now. Um, and they're just really thriving and they're giving back now. Like they're doing things for other charities, like catering other charity um, events and, and giving back to the community. And it's just it's wonderful to see kind of that cycle because um, that's what we hope for, right? At the end of the day, we don't want them moving out and then having to go to another shelter or having to kind of just struggle to make ends meet. The goal is to give them a fighting chance at like being able to be active members of our community and, and being able to stand on their own two feet. That's a great goal and it is being achieved and it's going to be happening in Hamilton very, very soon. Yasmin, really appreciate your time. Best of luck with the Hamilton location of Nisa Homes. Thank you so much. That's Yasmin Youssef, a program director at Nisa Homes. You can get more information online, nisahomes.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Do you have a plan to manage your money, to grow your money, to save your money, to tackle rising inflation? Well, if you don't, now's probably a good time to start because with inflation driving up the cost of living in this country, it couldn't come at a better time. And what is that? Well, that's Financial Literacy Month. November 1st is here, and that means this month has been launched. So how do we get ahead of the game? Paul Anachak is Vice President Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, post-Halloween. Uh, I'm, uh, like everyone else, probably trying to get all the sugar out of our system, but it's <laughs> going to take a few days. Absolutely. The detox is on. Um, in regards to uh, the detox from inflation, w- w- what's happening this month with Financial Literacy Month, and how financially literate are Canadians? Financial Literacy Month was launched here in Canada back in uh, 2011, so this year marks the 12th annual The goal of Financial Literacy Month is to raise awareness around financial knowledge and the know-how. Because the more you know and understand, the better equipped you are when it comes to making decisions regarding your financial health and well-being. Improving the financial skills of Canadians is a key focus of the federal government. And it was the reason back in 2015 that they launched the National Strategy for Financial Literacy. Count me out. 
since that time, what we're finding is that Canadians are doing much better. However, surveys show they are still struggling when it comes to financial health. And this impacts financial decision making, therefore, their overall financial health. What we're finding is that, you know, it's it's a slow process. And what we've seen right through COVID and uh, interest rate increases, inflation, the last couple of years has been difficult for Canadians. Uh, surveys, as we mentioned, surveys really are showing this. The Canadian Financial Capability Survey back in 2019, which was conducted every five years, and remember, 2019 study was right before COVID was starting, showed that Canadians were struggling, you know, when it came to things like budget, debit management, savings, understanding financial products, and services. That's really why the Financial uh, Consumer Agency of Canada, which is a part of the federal government, launched a new five-year strategy this year calling Make Change That Counts. And we're trying to make uh, that change count. And that's also the theme of this uh, year's Financial Literacy Month, Make Change That Counts, Managing Your Money in a Changing World. We're all being forced to manage our money in a changing world nowadays. What changes should Canadians be making? Well, first of all, Canadians should be, you know, taking a look at their entire financial situation. You know, the government is focusing on a couple of key areas. However, personally, uh, what we're going to do in Financial Literacy Month is there's going to be weekly themes that the government's going to have. The first one starting today is what's called finding your financial balance. And that really comes down to budgeting. And that's a key area because we've talked show after show that half of Canadians have a budget. Debt management is a key over the next few weeks. Uh, In addition, the week after is going to be managing your debt which is big for a lot of people right now because what we found is Canadians' debt was actually growing during COVID. The following week is going to be planning you for your financial future. So that's talking about savings for your financial future and the importance of goals. And the first three weeks is really important. As, as we know, the last couple of weeks when we saw the interest rate increase, the inflation that's been hitting us, it's going to be three great weeks for Canadians to learn. The final week is going to be focusing on borrowing wisely. Uh, A lot of people are trying to borrow money to make ends meet. Any advice on that and any final advice for people who are, you know, looking at their bank account thinking, wow, we got to get ahead of this? Well, a couple of key things for advice. I I encourage Canadians to take a look at the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada's website. You know, just Google FCAC Canada. It's going to bring you up. So it's going to see everything for Financial Literacy Month. There's other great websites like BDODebt.ca. Go visit our website. If you're one of those Canadians that don't have a budget, it's a great place to start because we do have budgeting templates. If you're one of those Canadians that are struggling with your debt situation, come to our website and you'll take a look at all the strategies that we have laid out for the following month. Yeah, also a free no-obligation consultation if you want to give Paul's office a call and um, yeah, be on a, a better, um, I guess, treadmill in terms of uh, managing your money and, and tackling that debt. Paul, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. Have a good day. That's Paul Anachik, Vice President, Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. And uh, Financial Literacy Month also comes as we are receiving details of a new Ipsos poll done exclusively for Global News, which finds that 84% of Canadians are concerned their everyday purchases are becoming less affordable. Yeah, put your hand up on that one. 
88% of women think so. 92% of people in the 18 to 34 age group agree. 44% of Canadians, according to this poll, are worried about feeding their family. 19% say they have no way to afford those higher prices for necessities. About half are worried about affording gasoline. And one-third in this poll concerned about losing their job. And that is a concern as a recession as many people expect, is approaching. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's switch gears uh, for the last few minutes of our show and uh, the Art Gallery of Hamilton making some news. It's been selected to participate in a unique program for from RBC Foundation that uh, will ultimately help a local artist go from emerging to established. What does that mean and what's in store for this artist? Shelly Falconer is the president of the Art Gallery of Hamilton and joins us now. Shelly, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Good morning. So you've selected a local artist to push them from the emerging category to the established category. Who's this artist? So the artist is Nathan Eugene Carson, and we are so excited. This is uh, an artist who has grown up in Hamilton, and he's truly becoming a rising star in Canada. And when we were approached by the RBC Foundation, um, we really considered it. We had actually about a list of, because as everyone knows, Hamilton has an incredible incredible scene here and a lot of artists really good artists so you know this was something very considered we had a list we looked at those artists and um, we made a decision as a group our our, our curatorial team to um, choose Nathan Eugene Carson so what is the difference between an emerging artist and an established one what doors are going to be opening up for Mr. Carson well there's age, you can always look at that, right? But also there's their career. Nathan is someone who is well known to the Hamilton community. He is also becoming really well known in Toronto where he had an important exhibition at the Power Plant Contemporary Art Gallery um, about two years ago. And um, what happens now is Nathan's career is launching nationally. That is is truly what this um, incredible, generous gift does. It allows Nathan to reach a much broader audience. It supports an acquisition for the collection here. Um, and it, it's important. We're the third largest art gallery in the province, the largest in this region, um, and one of the six top in the country. So. By being able to showcase Nathan, he's our artist in residence as well. He'll be here um, until March 23. So anyone that wants to come and see his work, you can come down to the gallery uh, anytime and, and take a look. Um, but this allows us to, import, to import, acquire an important work and support his career and support, um, you know, the exposure of people to Nathan Eugene Carson. Well, you can go check out Nathan's work at the Art Gallery of Hamilton uh, right here in the city and more information on the program itself at rbc.com. Shelley, we'll have to leave it there as we're out of time. Thank you for your time today. Enjoy the day. Thank you. You too. That Bye. Shelley Falconer, president of the Art Gallery of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're about to chat with a retired fire captain of 34 years. He has a really remarkable and gut-wrenching story. Uh, back in 2008, his niece and her entire family died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And he is now educating Canadians about the dangers of carbon monoxide and how you can protect yourself and your family. 
John Ginax is the executive director of the Hawkins Ginax Foundation for CO Education and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. John, good morning. How are you? Can you hear me? Hey, there you are. Yes. Thanks for joining us this morning. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks, sir. Thanks for having me. You have a, uh, as I mentioned, a heartbreaking story to share about your family in 2008. What do you want people to know about it? Well, back in 2008, I lost my niece, her husband, and both their children to carbon monoxide, and it was a preventable accident. All she had to do was have a working CSA-approved CO alarm, which she didn't have, but I was a captain on the fire department and didn't tell her, and I didn't have one either. So back then, we didn't have a lot of information on carbon monoxide, but here we are, fast forward, and we've got the bill passed, and uh, we're trying to educate all Canadians about the dangers of carbon monoxide. And this incident happened because of a blocked vent in their gas fireplace, and if they had a CO2 alarm, it would have alerted them to this fact. That's right. Uh, the gas fireplace hadn't been inspected in over 15 years, so that started the problem, and then it backed up, and they didn't have a CO alarm to uh, uh, alert them of the dangers. So that's one of the things that all people should be aware of. They need to put a CO alarm in their home, and they need to do it today. This week is Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week. What should we be aware of? Uh, Carbon Monoxide Awareness Week uh, is from November 1st to the 7th, and it gives us a chance to educate all Canadians about the dangers of carbon monoxide. The first thing, make sure you get all your appliances checked by a qualified technician, and make sure you put a CO alarm in your home today. And spread the word uh, to all your friends and relatives so that we can uh, protect all Canadians from this uh, the silent killer. So this could this could occur not just in the furnace; it can occur in in other appliances. Any uh, fuel burning appliances like your your furnace or your uh, gas fireplace or uh, um, a generator or whatever, and it, it, it it's everywhere. Uh, carbon monoxide doesn't take a vacation. So when you go away, make sure you take a working CSA approved seal alarm with you to the cottage or on your RVs, or in your boats, or whatever, wherever it might be, it's, it's everywhere. Speaking of everywhere, you should have one installed everywhere in the home, or at least on each story of your home? Well, the law says you have to have one outside your sleeping quarters, which uh, means if you've only had sleeping quarters on the top floor, you only need one in the hallway. But uh, our foundation uh, is saying that you should make sure you should have amp protection. Put one on every floor. Then you don't have to worry about the, the silent killer. But make sure you also look after them. Are there any symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning that can alert you to the fact that hey, you have a leak or some kind of issue somewhere? Well, it, it, it emulates the flu. You could um, nauseate it. Uh, you know, you feel uh, dizzy um, and you lack. you start to feel really tired. Um, and that's, if you go outside and you start feeling better, that's your indication that it's carbon monoxide. And this is referred to as the silent killer because you, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you don't know it's in the air. Exactly. It's, it's called the silent killer because we can't see it, taste it, or smell it. So it's a very dangerous gas, and the only way we'll ever know it's in your home is if you have a working CSA-approved CO alarm. So... Um, and I also advocate that you make sure you check your smoke alarms as well, because, I mean, I'm a firefighter, so I carry that message as well. And now is a good time to do it. We have the time change weekend fast approaching. It's a good time to change all the batteries and all these uh, different uh, um, alarm systems. Exactly. I, I, I always uh, say that if you look after those alarms, they'll look after you. So make sure they're not over 10 years old and make sure you have a good working battery, which I mean, uh, usually Duracell or already long life life batteries it says right on the back of the package of your alarm what batteries you should install in those alarms so make sure you use those batteries only
The, uh, from what I understand, the Hawkins Genax Foundation for CO Education has a 50-50 raffle that's going on right now? That's right. It's called the Raffle Box, and it's uh, to aid all the volunteer uh, fire departments in Ontario, and it's uh, to raise funds to help those uh, uh, volunteer firefighters as well as our foundation to uh, educate all the uh, people in our communities about uh, safety precautions and dangers like carbon monoxide and fire. How can people donate to uh, the raffle? They can go to uh, endthesilence.ca, and um, it, it's usually posted on social media as well. So it's just a new thing, but we're hoping to get it going so that we can uh, raise lots of funds to help uh, our fire departments in Ontario. Uh, it's a great cause and obviously an important message to share. Uh, John, really appreciate your time this morning, and best of luck uh, throughout this week and beyond. Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, stay CO safe. You got it. John Ginax is the executive director of the Hawkins Ginax Foundation for CO Education. Uh, a really gut-wrenching story with his niece, who was OPP Constable Lori Hawkins. You may remember the name. Her husband, Richard, uh, their daughter, Cassandra, their son, Jordan, all died from exposure to carbon monoxide poisoning. And it was as simple as a blocked vent in their gas fireplace back in 2008. Had no idea this was going on and um, obviously succumbed to uh, what is called the silent killer. Uh, you can get lots more information online. And yes, if you are uh, looking to you know change the batteries in all your alarms and you don't have a CO alarm, uh, you can pick one up in your local store, hardware store, whatever the fact is, and uh, be sure to get one for each floor in your home. We have one in our hallway upstairs. We have one downstairs as well. Uh, protect yourself. And as John says, they will protect you as well. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.